Hello and welcome to Timeless Files, a fan podcast for the TV show Timeless. I'm your host, Chris Butler. It's a crisp, sunny afternoon here in the UK as I sit down to talk about episode 9 of season 1. Somewhere in America they're now filming the 7th episode of season 2. That's according to a tweet I saw from David Hoffman. Four weeks from now, episode 1 of season 2 will be shown on NBC. And the first brand new footage has just appeared in a short 15 second trailer. We're promised a longer trailer very soon, but even the few seconds of new footage that we got this week, it just looked fabulous. The trailer teased the years 1955, 1941, 1918 and 1692. And then there was that moment between Lucy and Wyatt which has certainly got the attention of the fans that are looking for a romance between them. That potential for romance between Lucy and Wyatt is an important element of the episode I'm about to discuss, which makes it timely indeed to talk about Season 1, Episode 9, Last Ride of Bonnie and Clyde. The episode starts with a staging of the death of Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow. We see a vintage car driving down a quiet road in Louisiana. A caption comes up on screen telling us it's May 23rd, 1934. I was thinking about how quickly someone might figure out that this is a Bonnie and Clyde episode if they were watching the episode cold without having seen the title or any trailer. Uh, There's a kind of narration by Bonnie Parker which gives it away. But even without that, I think most people would get it immediately, based on it being the 1930s, the machine guns in the back of the car, such is the fame of Bonnie and Clyde. Their car is flagged down by the driver of a truck pulled over at the side of the road. Bonnie leans out and asks if he's got engine trouble. He backs away and takes cover knowing that this is an ambush. Then a six-man posse, led by Texas officer Frank Hamer, opens fire on them. The car is riddled with bullets, and Bonnie and Clyde are killed. Around Bonnie's neck is a necklace and key, which the camera lingers on because it's important to the timeless episode that we're about to see. We cut to a scene with Lucy and her fiancé, Noah. It appears she has convinced him into role-playing a first date, which it more or less is for her, whereas it's anything but for him. It's interesting that Lucy is making an attempt to connect with him, but when he tries to take her hand, she pulls it away. He's baffled as to why. He wants to know if they're still engaged or not. We don't see the answer to that question, but it becomes apparent that nothing was resolved between them. Next we see Agent Christopher, who is on the phone to her daughter, apparently, or a young child anyway. This establishes a normal domestic life for Denise Christopher, outside of the job. Christopher is convincing whoever's at the other end of the phone that they do have to go to a ballet rehearsal. She turns around and realises why Lucy and Rufus have arrived and they're listening to her. Lucy starts to ask Agent Christopher about her family. 
but Christopher cuts her off and instead gives them a briefing. She tells them that Flynn has gone to May 22nd, 1934, which is the day before that opening scene that we saw, with the death of Bonnie and Clyde. Lucy doesn't recognise the date at first, which is a nice touch. She sometimes seems to have a superhuman knowledge of every event in the history of the world ever. It's more convincing if she's a bit fallible sometimes. What I like about the scene that follows is that we get some evidence that Agent Christopher is using evidence from previous encounters with Flynn and Brule. She raided the warehouse that Flynn was using in episode 4. Rufus pulled a briefcase out of Anthony's hand in episode 8. She also knows that Lucy reported that Flynn mentioned Rittenhouse in episode 1. So, from these sources, Christopher shows them a photo of a necklace and key. This is the same one that we've seen Bonnie Parker wearing when she's killed. Uh, we know that, but they don't. She says this was taken from the warehouse. And then, from the briefcase, she has a note that says, McIlroy Bank and Trust, May 22nd, 1934, Rittenhouse Key. So putting all this together, she supposes that Flynn has taken the mothership to recover this key. So she's sending Wyatt, Rufus and Lucy to find the key before Flynn does, if they can. If it's important to him, it's important to us, she says. During this briefing, she says she's tried to find further information about Rittenhouse, but she's found nothing. She asks if Flynn has mentioned it again. Lucy lies and says no, he hasn't. Connor Mason enters just as the others are leaving. Christopher hides the photos, which reminds us that she doesn't particularly trust Mason at this point. There's another brief scene later in the episode where Mason offers to help analyse all the data Christopher has collected, but she brushes him off saying it will take a while to get security clearance for him. In the wardrobe warehouse at Mason Industries, Wyatt notices that Lucy is still wearing her engagement ring. She explains about the date she's had with Noah. Wyatt says Lucy isn't meant to be with Noah, she should cut him loose and let him find whoever he's meant to be with. He reminds her she belongs in a reality where her sister is alive and she never met Noah. We get a very brief glimpse of Rufus and Gia, who are together now, which is what we expect after episode 7. I don't think even Rufus could mess this up at this point. We get a quick time flight this time, no conversation in the lifeboat, and then we're in 1934. Wyatt, Rufus and Lucy have stolen a car. Wyatt says, well, they shouldn't leave the keys in the car if they don't want it to be stolen. Wyatt signals to Rufus that he should pause his recorder. We've never seen him do that before. My immediate reaction was that surely Rittenhouse would know, but that's something for a future episode. They discuss whether they should be confiding in Agent Christopher and telling her everything they know. If you want my advice, you should always confide in anyone called Chris or Christopher, I'm just saying. Anyway... Rufus is against it. He makes the mistake of saying that he trusts Gia. 
Wyatt and Lucy are then more interested in their relationship than in the question about Agent Christopher. Rufus just looks shy about the whole subject of his relationship with Gia. He sends the others into the bank to get on with trying to find this key if it's there. And he says that he will keep watch in case Flynn shows up. Inside the bank, Wyatt and Lucy look for any sign of the key and necklace. But they've barely gone in there when Bonnie and Clyde burst in to rob the bank. Lucy realises who they are. She has that look that she gets when she realises she's right in the middle of some history that she used to just study in books. And Lucy notices that Bonnie is wearing the necklace and key that they're looking for. Outside the bank, the posse who killed Bonnie and Clyde in the original timeline arrive, and this time Flynn is with them. Rufus sees this and takes cover. Bonnie and Clyde finish robbing the bank and head outside. Wyatt and Lucy chase after them because they need the key that Bonnie has. As they all emerge from the bank, Rufus calls out to them to warn them, and they just manage to take cover behind a car as the posse start firing. Wyatt sees Flynn is with the policeman and fires back at him. Bonnie and Clyde see that he's shooting in the right direction, and therefore he and Lucy must be allies. Lucy makes up a story that the police are after them too, and they all make a break for it in the car that Wyatt, Lucy and Rufus had left across the street. They reach it and escape, except that Rufus gets left behind. Wyatt says that Rufus will know what to do. If they're separated, they will make their way back to the lifeboat. I like that they've thought ahead and do have a plan for this situation. This is their ninth mission, and they really ought to be getting a bit more organised at this stage. It's another example of the writers getting things right and moving things forward in a logical way. The credits are coming up on screen at this point. This episode is written by Anselm Richardson. He will also co-write episode 15 later in the series. He also has a long list of credits as an actor in TV and film. And the episode is directed by John Teleski, who previously directed episode 5 of Timeless which was the Alamo episode. Wyatt and Lucy end up back at Bonnie and Clyde's hideout with them. Wyatt is all for grabbing the key and making a run for it, if they can. But Lucy says they need to talk to Bonnie and Clyde and to try to find out more about the key. They need to know why it's important to Flynn and maybe to Rittenhouse too, which Wyatt has to agree with. Lucy is often the clear-headed one who is able to think things through and see the best way to go forward. There is a risk, though, because Bunny and Clyde are killers. Lucy says they only have until 9am the next day, though, because that is when Henry Methvin, one of the others in the gang, led by Clyde, uh, is going to sell them out and Bonnie and Clyde will be killed by the posse led by Frank Hamer. Wyatt agrees, but he says he's not putting on a stage play for these two, which suggests he's not that keen on pretending that he and Lucy are a couple with a history of robbing banks just like Bonnie and Clyde. But if he claims to be reluctant here, things certainly change as the evening progresses. And we'll get to that. 
Rufus has been detained by the police because he was seen talking with Wyatt and Lucy at the scene of the bank robbery. Then Flynn spots Rufus and tries to get to him, but Frank Hamer doesn't allow it, luckily for Rufus. Rufus's fake ID says that his name is Wesley Snipes, which helps to convince Hamer that Rufus isn't the man Flynn says he is. Flynn is claiming that he is a bounty hunter and the key around Bonnie's neck belongs to a client of his. Hamer has an agreement with Flynn that Flynn can have the key if he helps them to get Bonnie and Clyde. Back at the hideout, they're all drinking. Bonnie notices Lucy looking at the key. Lucy says she's never seen anything like it. Bonnie says that Clyde gave it to her for their engagement. Engagement in inverted commas because he couldn't give her a ring because she was already married. There's a moment where Wyatt seems to be particularly interested in the fact that Bonnie is married to somebody else other than Clyde. I think Wyatt still considers himself to be married. The mystery of his wife's death is something he can't let go of. But anyone in his situation would at least consider moving on and finding someone else. We've not seen any willingness from Wyatt to do that up until now. But we have seen hints of attraction between him and Lucy. I would say Wyatt has barely considered the possibility that Lucy might be a potential partner for him. But what follows might suggest otherwise. Bonnie has seen Lucy's engagement ring and assumes that Lucy and Wyatt are engaged. And she asks how Wyatt proposed. Lucy looks like she's going to try to make something up, but then... Wyatt takes over. I don't think there is any doubt that this is the story of how he proposed to his wife. Although he doesn't actually admit to that, even later on. But it is. He says he took her back to a spot by a tree where they first kissed. He managed to open the ring box upside down. And the ring fell into the grass and he couldn't find it at first. She said yes anyway, and then they searched for the ring together and found it. He looks very emotional, remembering this. Lucy looks emotional too. We often see her being affected when people close to her are having strong emotions. Wyatt says to Lucy, do you remember that? And she kind of nods because they're still playing the part of a couple for Bonnie and Clyde's benefit. Then Wyatt leans over and kisses her. And in the moment after, she looks like it's very okay with her that he did that. He looks like he doesn't quite know what just happened and why he did what he did. It's a very complicated scene from an emotional point of view. Was Wyatt still thinking about his wife? Or was it more about Lucy in that moment? I'd love to see the script for that scene and to know whether it said anything about what the characters are supposed to be feeling here, or whether the nuances of the way it's played were figured out by the actors and the director when it was filmed. Clyde looks at them and says it's true love. Later that evening, the four of them are still talking. Wyatt and Lucy are still trying to learn more about this key. Wyatt asks Clyde where he got it from, Wyatt says, oh, he'd like to get Lucy one just like it. 
and Clyde says he stole it from Henry Ford. He talks about how he sent a letter to Ford, enthusing about Ford cars, and Ford had the letter framed. Despite this, Clyde, at some later point, decided to steal from Ford, and he found the key in a safe. Lucy manages to get a close look at the key. Clyde says Ford offered $50,000 for its return, but Clyde knew it was a trap because no key is worth that much. Away from the others, Lucy tells Wyatt that there's a Latin inscription on the key that reads, The key to the beginning of all time, and the key to the end of all time. Wyatt says Bonnie and Clyde are drunk, and they'll be asleep soon. Then they can take the key from Bonnie and get away from there. Back at the police station, Hamer brings in Henry Methvin, the member of Clyde Barrow's gang who will betray them. Methvin says he doesn't know Rufus. He tells Hamer where to find Bonnie and Clyde. So Hamer's then focusing on going after Bonnie and Clyde and he lets Rufus go and Rufus manages to leave without Garcia Flynn seeing him. Back in the present day, Connor Mason meets with Benjamin Cahill. He tells Cahill he thinks Agent Christopher is taking an interest in Rittenhouse. Cahill does the thing that he routinely does, which is to imply that this puts Agent Christopher in danger. He says that Rittenhouse has survived other attempts to investigate them, and they won't hesitate to deal with Agent Christopher, even if she is a Homeland Security agent. He says these things come from the top, way above him. So it's clear he's not a leader within Rittenhouse, or at least he claims not to be. The two men part and we cut back to another car where Agent Christopher and another man are observing Mason and Cahill and taking photos of them. I must admit feeling a chill at that moment knowing that Christopher is certainly putting herself in danger as she increases her investigation into Mason and Rittenhouse. We cut back to Lucy and Wyatt who are now lying in a bed together while Bonnie and Clyde are also in a bed just on the other side of a curtain. Bonnie and Clyde are obviously having a lot more fun than Wyatt and Lucy are. Lucy complains that Wyatt said Bonnie and Clyde were drunk and would pass out, but that hasn't happened yet. Wyatt says whatever else she might say about them, they're definitely in love. Lucy confides she's known attraction and chemistry, but she's never had that lightning bolt from the heavens. Someone that's the only one. Wyatt is amused that she's all about fate and destiny from some of the things that she's said previously. But apparently not when it comes to love. Wyatt says that he did have that with his wife. Lucy asks him directly if that means he can never be with anyone else for the rest of his life. She says you, me, anyone has to be open to possibilities. And it seems entirely possible that they're on the verge of kissing again here. But then they notice that Bonnie and Clyde are asleep at last. The moment's gone. They get dressed quickly and Wyatt goes to try to take the key from Bonnie. But before he can get it, Henry Methvin bangs on the door and wakes everyone up. Wyatt manages to disguise what he was doing, but he hasn't got the key. <laughs>
Rufus has managed to make his way out to the house, having heard about it when he was with the police and Methvin. He manages to get Wyatt and Lucy's attention, and they're really happy that they've managed to get back together again, but then they're discovered by Clyde. Methvin claims that Rufus is a police informant, but Rufus takes out the audio recorder he's been carrying, and he replays the audio where Methvin makes his deal with Hamer. Of course, this is very modern technology, but Lucy just covers that up by saying it's a voice recorder like they use in the films. Clyde realises he's been betrayed and he kills Methvin. But Hamer, Flynn and the rest are already approaching the house. Wyatt tries to take the key, but they won't give it up. They run from the house. Clyde is first shot by Hamer. Flynn takes the key from Bonnie. She's screaming that this isn't how it was supposed to be. She has a chance to surrender, but she picks up Clyde's gun, and she is shot by Hamer too. Wyatt sees that Flynn has the key, but they have no chance of taking it from him, so they have to flee the scene without it. Arriving back in the present day, they have to tell Agent Christopher that Flynn has the key, and they don't know what it was for. They change back into their normal clothes... Wyatt tries to dismiss what happened with the kiss as just all part of earning the trust of Bonnie and Clyde. Lucy kind of shrugs and says, yes, of course. They walk away from each other, both looking thoughtful. Rufus is eating alone in a bar when Agent Christopher sits down across from him. She asks Rufus if he knew that five years ago Mason almost went bankrupt but then was funded with $2.5 billion. She asks if someone financed his time travel project. She asks where the money came from. Rufus starts to say he doesn't get involved with the money. Then she shows him a photo of Cahill and asks if it was his money. She says she knows people and she knows that Rufus is a good guy. She asks him to trust her. He warns her that if there is anyone she loves, she should stop right now. But she says she's not in the job because she's afraid. Let her worry about that. So he says he will tell her everything he knows. She thinks he means about Mason, but he says not Mason, about Rittenhouse. And for the last scene in this episode, we see that Garcia Flynn has broken into a house or a museum, possibly. He avoids a guard, so it's somewhere that has security. He inserts the key into a clock. The clock opens, and Finn extracts a sealed scroll and reads it. But we don't get to read it at this stage. And that's the end of the episode. I have to say, I found this a little bit disappointing, somehow. That after all the trouble to get the key... It isn't of any particular value directly, except to open this clock to get a piece of paper. The clock looked like it could have been just as easily smashed open to get the scroll out. But maybe the clock would have self-destructed somehow. I like to think so, but we'll never know. If that last scene is a little bit underwhelming, the episode as a whole is really great. There is a deleted scene on the DVD box set. Um, none of the deleted scenes are specifically linked to particular episodes. 
But I'm sure that this particular scene was filmed for this episode because Lucy is wearing the same clothes in all of the present-day sections and in this deleted scene. And this is the only episode for a while where Daniel D. Tommaso, who plays Noah, is in the episode. It's a follow-up to Lucy's attempt to connect with Noah. It looks like Lucy has invited him to her mother's house to talk to him. They don't get beyond the front hall before he asks her what's going on. She asks him what first attracted him to her and she specifically uses this phrase about being the one again. So I think her conversation with Wyatt is very much in her mind. He says he wasn't especially attracted to her in the beginning but she went away to a conference in Beijing and he really missed her while she was away. She clearly likes what he says because they end up kissing. It's telling, I think, that having had that moment with Wyatt, she then goes back to Noah and tries to connect with him. And after the kiss, Noah says this is different, which suggests the Lucy he knows would have kissed him differently somehow, which I find really interesting. We know that he's had this relationship with a different version of Lucy. Just how different was she? I don't know if the scene was cut just for time reasons. Could have well have been that. Or if from a writing perspective they felt that they weren't quite taking Lucy and Noah's relationship in the right direction. I guess the fact that they've been willing to include it on the DVD set suggests that they don't think it was a misstep as such. So probably it was just cut because the episode was too long. I think this episode is very enjoyable in terms of the Bonnie and Clyde story. But it's the scenes between Wyatt and Lucy that really spark. Matt Lanter and Abigail Spencer both give very subtle, clever performances. One thing I think must have been discussed in the writing room is the portrayal of Bonnie Parker. At this point in her life, she had an injury to her right leg and could hardly walk. This timeless script chooses to ignore that, and in doing so it plays into a more romantic idea of Bonnie and Clyde. They could have done something a bit more truthful here. But I guess you could argue that there was a time before the injury that was more true to who they were, how they behaved and the things that they did. So perhaps the episode is true to the spirit of Bonnie and Clyde, if not to the specific events closer to the time when they were killed. <laughs> That's all for this episode. Join me next time when I'll be looking at episode 10, The Capture of Benedict Arnold. Until then, all the podcasts so far are available on the site at timelessfiles.podbean.com or in all the usual podcasting places including iTunes, Stitcher and TuneIn. And you can find me on Twitter at, at @timelessfiles. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.